0: Hey, hey, hey. Good morning, good morning, and happy Sunday. Yours truly, Dr. Carol. I am just delighted to be back with you live on this Sunday morning. We are here. We are here for Weightless and Mind body, and spirit. So it is hosted by yours truly. This exciting 10-part series now in season eight is presented by Penn Global Visions and my team. So we are here today with our two special guests, Reverend Zamoria Brandon and Miss Gilda Rogers of the T. Thomas Fortune Cultural Center. And On this show, we talk about the worlds of weight loss, weight loss maintenance, aging and reverse, heart health, optimizing health and well-being. And today's show, today's show is a very, very special show about healing in the community. So let's, we're going to hear our fabulous theme music. Welcome, Rebecca. So glad that you're able to join us. So let's relax. And get ready to have a fabulous, fabulous show. Weightless, weightless.
1: No matter what people say, you're full of greatness. Greatness. The time you opened up your eyes, you were courageous, courageous. If only they could see you going through your paces. It's amazing. Weightless to say you're full of greatness.
0: well welcome welcome to weightless and mind body and spirit so i think we have a message from our sponsor this morning oh you're on mute
1: good morning weightless and mind body and spirit is brought to you by Penn global visions who brings you mindset mastery rx weightless and mind body and spirit an online a monthly online membership program where we learn to pivot in the present but for now let's return to our host dr carol penn with her super friend guest
0: oh yes so good morning good morning again and and thank you so much Thank you very much. And thank you all to those of you that are joining. Please let us know that you've tuned in. You know how y'all do. We like to say hello to you in the chat. So this morning, the theme of our show centers around community and healing in the context of community. And of course, right now the world knows about the, the tragedy that has occurred in a community in Buffalo, New York. And so I feel I, I can, I cannot, not acknowledge that this morning. So we're going to be starting on more of a somber note. Um and I will um bring our our guest on as I I, as I usually do with the reading and the sharing of their biographies so you can you know stare on their countenance. But this morning, good morning, Dr. Kina, and welcome. I'm going to do also do a a land acknowledgement to acknowledge what has occurred to give us all a chance to reflect. Reflect on just the the horror, the, the nightmare that we continue to live in this nation where our, our young people um, feel that they can commit these acts. Old people feel that they can commit these acts. And I hope I never get used to it. I hope I never get jaded by it at all. So, but first, I want you to see these two very, very special women, their sisters, their colleagues, their friends. So, you know, we'll watch them blush a little bit. So Miss Gilda Rogers, Reverend Zamoria. So let's start with Gilda. She is a journalist, an author, and a playwright, producer, director, historian, and an educator. She thrives in a creative platform. She started her art career as a visual artist, window dresser, and fashion coordinator for several national retail chains. Her passion to tell stories and to be the voice for the voices led her to journalism and to write books, produce videos. She is currently the executive director of the T. Thomas Fortune Foundation and Cultural Center in Red Bank, New Jersey. She has led this grassroots effort to save and preserve the former home of T. Thomas Fortune, a national historical landmark. Fortune was one of the greatest African-American journalists and newspaper editors and a courageous social justice Crusader. She is an adjunct professor of history at Brookdale Community College, and she's also the community relations manager for the Two River Theater in Red Bank, New Jersey. And so I want to welcome Gilda to the show, and you can see from those accolades, she's all about community. She is all about community. And so we are going to be highlighting that In our discussion this morning. Now, my sister, my sister, my sister. Reverend Zamoria A. Brandon, Reverend Zamoria is the administrator social worker for the Sickle Cell Disease Association of America, Philadelphia, Delaware Valley Chapter, a community based organization. There we have that word community again, established in 1982 to provide supportive and referral services across the lifespan to meet the needs of children, adolescents, adults and families living with sickle cell disease disease and sickle cell trait. She was married for 25 years to the late Reverend Walter E. Brandon, co-founder of SCDAA, who passed away from complications of sickle cell disease in April 1998 at the age of 59 years young. Reverend Brandon received a bachelor in social work degree from Temple University School of Administration in 2001. In 2002, she was inducted into the Temple University Alumni Gallery of Success and into the School of Social Administration's Gallery of Success in 2008. In 2011, she was ordained as an interfaith minister from the New Seminary for Interfaith Studies in New York. Since 2019, Reverend Brandon has served as co-chair of the SHINE the Light on Sickle Cell Initiative and Recognition of World Sickle Cell Awareness Day on June 19th. Sickle Cell Improvement Across the Northeast Region, a project under the umbrella of the Sickle Cell Treatment Demonstration Program. She is also a member of the Pennsylvania Sickle Cell Providers Network, a statewide collaborative comprised of community-based organizations and sickle cell healthcare providers. In addition, she is a certified single gene. Hemono get that word, get that word, (laughs) (laughs) counselor educator through the University of Southern Alabama and the Sickle Cell Disease Association of America chapter in Mobile, Alabama. Reverend Brandon currently serves as chair, board of directors, and co-chair legal and immigration committee for AFRICOM Philly, an organization providing supportive services to the African and Caribbean immigrant communities. In addition, she is a member of the City of Philadelphia Mayor's Commission on African and Caribbean Immigrant Affairs and former co-chair legal and immigration community because of Reverend Brandon's community involvement and long-term commitment to the African and Caribbean community. In 2011, she was installed as a development queen and the Assyria royal family of the Ga State, which is located in Accra, Ghana. Amarkai III, Kingmaker, presided as officiant over the installment ceremony. Reverend Brandon was assigned to the village of Toku and received the name of Nandere Otawan, which means Mother Earth, one who nurtures and takes care of others. Miss Brandon is a member of the First Unitarian Church of Philadelphia and a former trustee. She currently serves on the Worship Arts Ministry team and with First Church Voices Intergenerational Choir. She is the proud mother of two children ages 53 and 37 years old and four grandchildren ages 19, 7, and a half, seven and four years old. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am so excited, so excited. And- We're going to go right into a land acknowledgement. For those of you who have gathered, go ahead and drop in the chat the feelings that you might be holding this morning as we wake up to yet another tragedy perpetrated by the uncontrolled gun violence in these United States. We would like to acknowledge that this meeting is being held on the traditional lands of the Lanai, Lenape lanapai peoples and pay our respect to elders, both past and present. Every community owes its existence and vitality to generations from around the world who contributed their hopes, dreams, and energy to making the history that led to this moment. Some were brought here against their will, some were drawn to leave their distant homes and hopes of a better life. And some have lived on this land for more generations than can be counted. Truth and acknowledgement are critical to building mutual respect and connection across all barriers of heritage and difference. We remember those who lost their names through the crime of enslavement, Some were given names, but others were just listed in wills by their value, and we cannot know the names and those that love them would use. We honor them and hold them in the light. We begin this effort to acknowledge what has been buried by honoring the truth. Please take a moment to consider the many legacies of violence, displacement, migration, and settlement that bring us here today. And please join us in uncovering these truths. So I just take a moment of silence and a breath to acknowledge the families that wake up this morning in that forever place of the one who will not be coming home the one who was in a grocery store, gathering the groceries for the week, for the dinner that night, for the breakfast this morning. And I acknowledge the grief that any of us might be feeling. And I also welcome that grief because it means that you are not yet numb to what life means what community means, what it means to be whole wealth, whole and wealthy and whole in mind, body and spirit. So we welcome that here. We welcome all of your ancestors. We welcome all of the emotions that you might be experiencing in this moment. And we give you a chance to share anything that you might want to share about that in the chat this morning. And just take a a breath or two as we acknowledge this tragic, tragic state of humanity, man's inhumanity to others, Mm -hmm. that this manifestation of hatred could show up in an 18-year-old child. Yeah. This destruction. And so in a moment, I'm going to ask uh, both Reverend Samoria and Gilda to share their reflections on that. And perhaps, um, uh, Reverend Zamoria, I'm going to ask you to start us off and then followed by By Gilda. So because we are going to be topical and timely. And this is a real moment. This is happening now. Mm -hmm. Real time. In real time. So, Reverend Zamoria, where are you with with all of this? As you know, we, you know, your whole bio is about the importance of community and it stretches across continents. Mm -hmm. And yet, yet. This is the legacy of violence that we witness in real time that we've woken up to this morning.
2: It's a lot to process. Mm -hmm. And the reason why it's such a lot to process is because it's repetitive. It happens over and over and over again. I mean, as you said, an 18 year old, when we were growing up, we had guns in our homes. My father had a gun in our home, Mm -hmm. but it was for protection, protection of our family, but not to use it to go out and perpetrate and violate other people. And so you think about, you know, I'm a, a person that goes, likes to go back I'm not a psychologist, but this young man, I would love to know his journey. How did he get here? You know, how was he radicalized? Did he come from a family that had this kind of hatred? Was it through social media? You know, I would love to know his journey because a person just doesn't wake up one day and decide to do this. There's a journey. There's a process that has gone on with this person. And there's so many elements around that could influence him. You know, what's happening with our legislators, um, the, the women and the people that are in the streets now protesting about abortion rights, the January 6th issue. I mean, there's just so much that's going on. It's hard. Yes, I'm a minister, but I'm a human being. You know, I have children. I have grandchildren. I think about my son who gets stopped by the police and not knowing whether he's even going to make it through that encounter. There's so much happening. And you think about the people that, as you say, were in the supermarket, shopping for groceries for their families. They weren't bothering anyone. There was no encounter. He just came and he shot people outside and then went inside. You know, the the mindset of that is so frightening because you never know when the next occurrence is going to happen. You know about, you know, children in schools that have been shot mass shootings and so many uh, at a mosque at a church. I remember, uh, I believe it was South Carolina when the young man came to sit in on a prayer meeting and we embraced him. We let him come in. We let him sit with us. We didn't know him and there we are praying, we are praying. And he pulls out a weapon and shoots everyone there. Uh, the mindset, again, I go back to what was the journey that brings each of them that have perpetrated this kind of crime? What was the journey that they went through? And, and what more importantly, What will the outcome be? What will the justice system say this time? How will they respond? As you said, will they say, well, he was mentally ill? You know, he snapped, he had a meltdown. What will they say? And where is he now? Is he in custody? You know, is he being held without bail? Who's going to represent him when the trial comes? And what will the the sentencing be like? But there's so much that we have to continue to deal with. How do we get past this? I think this morning is an opportunity. It's a safe space for anyone to be able to share what's on their heart, what's in their spirit their anger, their um, anxiety, because we don't know when we're going to hear it again, see it again. Will it be in the communities that we actually live in? Each of us that are on this call this morning, you know, how will we, how are we able to navigate this? You know, it's like, okay, you move through and you're hoping for a certain outcome. And then it may happen or not. And then there's like a calming, a quiet period. And then you're hit again. And again. And again. That there's that much hatred of who we are as a people. So much hatred. I think about Katanji Brown Jackson the woman who had paid her dues and was called by the president to be the the nominee and what she went through and how she had to almost acquiesce to not go completely off the rails. But she did it for a larger purpose. It's like, I'm going to hold myself back right now because I'm being blessed with a lifetime appointment. Mm. And this is what the things that we've had to do, we've had to acquiesce, we've had to hold back. And when we don't, it's a whole nother story about who we are as a people, you know? But it's like, how much, how long can we continue to take this? So I'm just letting it all hang out this morning. I'm Zamoria. This morning. I'm Zamoria. This morning, you know. And the other thing that we don't get an opportunity to talk about is how we perpetrate on each other. You know, that's part of it that we have to look at. We can't leave that out of the conversation. Those are my thoughts at this moment.
0: Thank you so much. Yes, that is a part of the con- how we perpetrate violence, this legacy of violence, you know, intragroup on each other and 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 even, you know, self-violence, how we negate and harm ourselves, the self-harming. That's also a part of what goes on in the community, uh, between each other, and even within the individual. So, Gilda, you work with young people in this age range. Your no, students, what are your reflections on what has occurred yet again?
3: Hmm. I, I, I don't even, it's it's so deeply ingrained hmm. in our society, hatred. It is when you understand how we all arrived here. All right. So Hmm. making young people that I come in contact with understand. This is why things are happening as they are, but you have the power to change them because we know, you know, we want a society that is equitable and just and fair. You know, we we pride ourselves in that, which is falsification, you know? So that is what we're supposed to stand for, but um, we sh- show something else, all right? So until, I think now we are in a state of ch- of finally really trying to, have an open discussion
2: mm-hmm.
3: about hate, you know, how um, African-American people have just been excluded across the board in, you know, every every situation, every kind of way. COVID, you know, the onset of that brought clarity to white people to that, you know, oh, you know, looking at this man being murdered on te- you know, right on television. All right. So we are at a reckoning right now, I think, in our in our society. And and folks are pushing back. All right. Folks are pushing back. We already know that. We see that when we even discuss something as um, Reverend Zamora said, um, Katanji Brown, what she had to go through, right? We got a president after pre- um, President Obama, and that was a, a backlash of us having an African American president, all right? So, until we really come to these kind of conversations honestly and in truth, and tell the truth, tell the truth and push our legislatures right now. The New Jersey, um, um, it's the um, New Jersey social justice um, up in um, Newark. They are pushing for reparations now. They are trying to have organize I mean, not organization, municipalities sign on, To this task force to at least be able to appoint a commission or task force rather to start the study, you know, of of reparations and until we do this together and understand that this is necessary. You know, we cannot, we cannot afford in any more lives to be lost because we want to be delusional about our past. You know, we've, you know, reparations have been paid to others, you know, Dr. Penn, you did the the land acknowledgement, you know, and in, in included in that is the um, Mm -hmm. labor acknowledgement. Yeah. The labor that African-American people, you know, gave to this country for it to be you know I'm I'm preaching to the choir but the thing is we all know this white people know it people in legislatures they know it and now we cannot let we can't take our feet off the gas we have to continue to use our voice in whatever medium that we're comfortable in you know I happen to have the honor and the privilege to work with young people mm-hmm. And that is our greatest hope is Mm -hmm. that these young people today will stand up against this kind of tragedy that's happening day in, day out in their lives, which Mm -hmm. they, this is the world that they're growing up in. So, like I said, it's a privilege and an honor for me to um, work with young people. And if, and if, just one person in my class gets what it is that I'm trying to give to them, then that gives me hope that um, there there is a better tomorrow that's on its way, because it's a ripple effect. So that's mm-hmm. what I hope for. You know, that is my prayer. That is what I hope for. That young people, you know, really see what the truth is in this nation and how we've been conditioned to believe one thing, but really now it's unraveling and the truth and all of the pain and the hurt and the uncomfortable and all of that is happening. It's like a blemish that it comes to a head. It, you know, it has to, you know, burst and, you know, here we are and, uh, you know, and I just hope that somehow, some way, these kind of reoccurring tragedies start to minimum minimalize as we start to grow.
0: Yes. Yes. Absolutely. So thank you for that. In a moment, we will have another word from our our sponsor. But first, I I just wanted to share something with all of us so we can think. And when we come back on the other side of that, we'll address that because both of you are extremely community centered and community based in your work. And I want to hear about what's going on In Your World, Reverend Zamoria with uh, the Sickle Cell Disease Association of Delaware. Valerie, near and dear to my my own heart, being the mother of a child who has the sickle cell trait. And Gilda, of course, you know, there's so much happening with, with T. Thomas Fortune, you know, big happenings coming up this week. And we want to hear about that because both of you are doing work that centers around healing communities and mind, body, and spirit. And this about the from the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, which has six pillars. And these six pillars are the, the pillars that we know evidence-based can prevent, reverse, and treat chronic illness, the top chronic illnesses that are killing not only Americans, but this is happening globally. And if we can get communities to embrace this, we understand how the community can be as medicine. So the six pillars are nutrition and encouraging people to eat a mostly whole food, plant-predominant eating pattern. That's number one. We are what we eat. Food is medicine. Two, regular physical activity, movement. What do I say? Movement is my medicine. Three, restorative sleep. If I could just get people to go to bed at night, bedtime (laughs) are important. And I, you know, I lived it so much. DM and I both did, you know, coming back from our trip and, you know, jet lag is real when your body clock has been completely turned around. So that restorative sleep and, and what that means. Number four, stress management. I can't say this enough. Stress management, meditation in a time of madness, the the breath being tied to the breath in the spirit. So number five, avoidance of risky substances, smoking, alcohol, drugs. So, the word I have to say about that is, uh, you know, so interesting. People refusing to take the COVID 19 vaccination. <laughs> talk about they, you know, and, you, and everybody knows what's in it, you know, very simple in terms of what's in it. But turn around and pick up a cigarette. And I say, you know, and, I, and I've challenged some patients with this. I want you to tell me what's in that
2: cigarette.
0: Mm hmm. You'll smoke that cigarette and you don't know all that's in that cigarette, but you won't take a vaccination. And I actually had a person say, you know, Dr. Penn, you're right. And the next day they got vaccinated. But anyway, Mm -hmm. it worked. (laughs) It worked. It worked. And then finally, finally, and here's the heart of our conversation today in terms of preventing, reversing and treating chronic illness, positive social connection. So those are the six Evidence-Based Pillars of Lifestyle Medicine. So we are going to go to a word to our sponsor right now as we reflect upon this. And when we come back, we'll continue the conversation.
1: Greetings. I hope you're enjoying this show brought to you by Penn Global Visions. Our monthly membership program, Mindset Mastery RX, Weightless and Mind, Body, and Spirit, will enhance your wellness toolkit to assist you with pivoting in these times we are in and has seats available. If you'd like to get more information about this program, please send an email to info at drcarolpenn.com. Or if you'd like to register, go to our registration link shown below. Thank you very much. And please stay tuned. Let's return to our host, Dr. Carol Penn, with her super friend guest. (laughs)
0: all right thank you very much because yeah it's all about for me all about creating communities many many years ago i said i just want to create the kind of community that i want to grow old in and the pandemic has given us an opportunity to create uh communities you know through the use of technology and for me, my communities are all around centered around healing, being whole, being healthy in mind, body and spirit. So, Reverend Zamoria, take us a little bit into the world of the community of the Sickle Cell Disease Association of Delaware Valley. And as we prepare toward the acknowledgement of world sickle cell today.
2: Yes, um- you never know where you're going to land in life, but through my late husband, Walter Brandon, who was a community activist, um, had a master's degree in divinity and social work. Um, we, I met him in Chicago, and he was offered a job in Philadelphia, and that began the journey that I'm on, <laughs> Philadelphia. So Walter became part of a, a patient support group at Pennsylvania hospital, which is the, the country's oldest hospital. And, um, and then the funding for the program was eliminated. And it was a social worker, someone of the community at that hospital that said, don't sit around waiting for a handout. Why not start your own organization? So. Walter was the co-founder, along with Willie Hubert, a group of 30 adults, established the organization July 2nd of 1982. We're coming up on our 40th year anniversary with the mission of providing supportive services across the lifespan from birth to the end of life. And so we are uh, an organization that we're one of 54 chapters under our national headquarters in the United States. We provide services that meet the daily needs of those people that are living with sickle cell disease, transportation, community outreach and education, advocacy, newborn screening follow-up. We're partners with the American Red Cross For people to donate blood, we're looking for African-American donors because they're the best match for a child or an adult that has sickle cell disease. We're also recently became a partner with the Black Doctors Consortium, the Dr. Alla Stanford Center for Health Equity, who was just tapped by President Joe Biden and appointed to be the director of Region 3 for Health and Human Services Um, We are the community partner for five hospitals, two pediatric hospitals, and three adult facilities. Um, We have a staff, a small staff, doing mighty work of five people, but we get the job done. And so um, we are uh, also a member, as you mentioned in in my bio, uh, the Pennsylvania Sickle Cell Providers Network which is a combination of community-based organizations, medical providers across the state of Pennsylvania. So there's a lot of initiatives that we have going on. On May 26, we have our annual Sickle Cell Advocacy Day, which will be a virtual uh, event that will include legislators, community-based leaders and their remarks, um, patient testimonials, and the theme for this year is making sickle cell disease a priority in Pennsylvania, Mm -hmm. because there's so many things that are lacking, so many things that need to be done. One that really speaks to me is the national opioid epidemic crises, and what happens to sickle cell patients when they show up in the emergency department, and how they are profiled, and how they are judged because they're coming with a prescription for opioid medications. So we're involved with that. And as a matter of fact, for this particular um, advocacy day that we're having, this is our call to action. We're asking those legislators to step up and support this effort to see if we can make a change in these hospitals that our patients go to when they are in crises, or dealing with any other medical complications. So we have a board of directors of 10 people. And one of the members on our board is a woman living well with sickle cell who's 83 years young. Yes. She's an amazing woman. We have our national child ambassador uh, who is in Philadelphia. We have our poster child who's an author of two books. And that has also through his church partnered with several African organizations in terms of gathering supplies to send to the children in those countries that have sickle cell disease. And of course my work in the African and Caribbean immigrant community has been quite profound. Uh, I'm so excited to be that they have embraced me to be the chair of the board of directors for AFRICOM Philly, which is a coalition of African and Caribbean immigrant organizations. And so Carol, you, some time ago, I reached out to you about writing a letter of support for a program that I just completed yesterday. And so we're talking about living. We, we know that we're all walking each other home, that we all came to go. Yes. And so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm proud to say that <coughs> I just completed um, a program with the International End of Life Doula Association. So when we think about a doula, a midwife that supports a woman and her family to bring life into the world, this is the role of the end of life doula. So you, I will be able to be with that person, do a life review. Asking if they want to create a legacy project, something that they want to be remembered by. Working with that family, doing post-grief uh, work with the family, reprocessing. So, my my hands, God has my hands in so many different places. You know, I'm. I always say I never made a plan, <laughs> because when you make a plan, God laughs. <laughs> So I have allowed God to take me wherever I needed to be. And every time the call came, I would say yes, which yeah. is why I'm here today. Cause I said, yes. yes, yes. Dr. Carol Penn. Yes. So that's just kind of, uh, in summation, um, my connection to the community, I'm always looking for a way to serve in whatever it is. And when you think about, people with sickle cell, the struggles. I know the struggles because I lived it, being married for 25 years. I know what happens to a family. You know, I know the financial struggles. You know, I know the depression. I know the physical issues that go on. So that's what, and then now being placed at a situation where end of life, um, creating rituals for people, and, and just, you know, I've learned so much in this class and what it has done. It has put me closer to what I want my end of life experience to be like, that nobody will have to think about what it should be, because I already I've written it through this class. I will be able to share it with my family. This is what I want, not just the uh, the after I've gone. But before I get to that last breath, this is what I want to happen. I want to be in my home if I'm placed in hospice. I want to have music, poetry. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to have people signing, putting messages in a book that can be read to me every day if that's going to be the end part of my life. So that's community coming into my home, my family, you know and letting them know that I'm okay, I'm okay, because I've done what I can do in this lifetime, and now it's my time. I've made peace with that through this program that I've been a part of for the last uh, three
0: weeks. Wonderful, thank you so much for sharing that. And I just got this beautiful image of Harriet Tubman at the end of her life who who passed away not too far from Buffalo in upstate New York surrounded by her family at her bedside and she Back in the day for her, she, you know, living up into the 90s, that was unusual. But then again, she was an unusual soul and spirit, as are you, Sister Zamoria. know today you're here as Zamoria. And I just want to extend uh, Victoria Alisang Owutu is on today. She is watching, she is joining us. She is the founder of Sunurio and Medical Mission. And we're going to bring you into this Gambia project. Project and the sickle cell, and, and what's going on there, and the tremendous work that they are doing despite limited resources. That's with right. sickle cell, this is a global disease. This is a global mm-hmm. disease affecting people with Mediterranean, primarily Mediterranean and African um, ancestry. Yes. So, and don't forget to call upon Dr. Taralan and I, as mothers of children who are impacted with sickle cell trait and the sickle cell disease. You know, we are there and there's so much we can do in community. So now, Miss Gilda, let's turn to you and T. Thomas Fortune and what that community is doing. You have a big week coming up yes. in T. Thomas Fortune, don't you?
3: Yes, yes, yes. First, I want to just say I'm grateful to Reverend uh, Zamoria Brandon for all the work that you do and, in- you're doing a lot and and i appreciate what you just talked about the end of life doula like Mm -hmm. i never thought of that i never you know you hear hospice Mm -hmm. you know but not in the way that you've explained it here Mm -hmm. so to me that is i i really i love that concept i think it's great and 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 thank i'm you. honored to to have met you to know that that is even available yes yes,
2: yes. yes yeah it's a growing industry end of wow. life doulas a growing industry so
3: okay um, thank you for that information
2: you're welcome
3: so the t thomas fortune cultural center um yeah a lot of good stuff is happening there. Um, I'm a community person, minded person. I've been in the community. I started my career as a journalist, as a community reporter. So that's how I've come to know so many uh, people in all kinds of sectors of life uh, that are incorporated in my community. Um, And which, you know, led me, my career in journalism led me to what I'm doing like right now, because T Thomas fortune was a journalist um, from the late 19th, early 20th century. And for the listeners, um, some of you may have heard of the show, the gilded age. It's a series Mm. that's, um, you know, new, but it's been renewed now for a second season. Well, there's a character in that show that is T Thomas fortune. And so You know, I tell people I've been on this journey to fortune uh, for like 22 years when I first was introduced to him as a journalist. uh, When I was doing my graduate degree work and discovered that he lived in Red Bank and um, that he was this, you know, incredible social justice crusader that was a trailblazer that opened the door for people like Du Bois and, you know, others, even Booker T. Washington. Um, and he was part of that contemporary group of leaders then that get a lot of acknowledgement. And most people don't know of him, but he is the one that is using his voice at a time in a most powerful way. First of all, he was born into slavery. And, you know, he rises up to become this journalist in, in New York City during the Gilded Age. And this is when he was doing his most powerful work at his newspaper, speaking out on the injustices of, you know, the of reconstruction, the injustices of the Gilded Age, when you think about wealth um, distribution. Uh, lynching, all of these things. Uh, he started the first successful um, black political organization known as the National Afro-American League in 1887, uh, which is way, way before, you know, the Niagara movement. So I'm just trying to, you know, just give you some background on who this person was. So he lived in Red Bank and he had a beautiful home in Red Bank. And when he lived there from 1901 to uh, around 1911, um, he called the home Maple Hall. It's a beautiful Second Empire Victorian-style home with a beautiful French mansard roof. And the home was going to be demolished. So it was an opportunity. It's a, and the home is a National Historic Landmark. That's number one. The home is a National Historic Landmark only one of three in New Jersey that's devoted to African-American history and culture and heritage, and that would be the T. Thomas Fortune House, Hinchliffe Stadium up in um, Patterson, New Jersey, where the Old Negro League played, and Symphony Mm -hmm. Hall, um, where many African-American performers and entertainers played. So I just, as a journalist myself and someone who Uh, considers herself you know heavily involved in social justice and I just could not see that his home was going to be destroyed and that's a piece of our history and once it's gone it's not coming back and so we were able to um, save the house Um, I formed I formed a a committee of like-minded people who started to hear me talk about fortune myself and a young lady named Sarah Klebner. And, you know, they got on, got involved and got on board. And um, we managed to keep the house from being uh, destroyed in 2017. And in 2019, where we opened as the T. Thomas Fortune Cultural Center. All right. So the so opportunity there, we are, our mission is to uphold the uh, social justice and civil rights legacy of T. Thomas Fortune through the arts, through education, community outreach, public programming. You know, we have a group of young people that we work with called the fortune tellers, and that's mm-hmm. to get them involved in using their voice. And that they matter, uh, Reverend Zamoria, You said that last night uh, when we were talking before about first thing you have to know that you matter. Mm-hmm. So that's the yeah. you know that's the premise behind working with them is to have them understand that they matter and their voice matters, even though they're young. You know mm-hmm. they have ideas that I haven't thought of, and you have them. You mm-hmm. know, so this is you know it's a mutual um, back and forth. So, um, this is our third anniversary coming up this week, May 19th. And for that third anniversary, I go back to well over a year ago when COVID hit. And we all understand the uh, disparaging difference that it had on the African American community, you know, and it was horrific for every community. And um, I just remember being at a being at an um, an event with a gentleman named Eric Carney, who was who is the uh, CEO and president of Mammoth Medical Center in um, in Long Branch. And we had a conversation. Nothing COVID hadn't even hit yet, but after COVID hit, I reached out to him with a proposal saying that, you know, we had a family of Black doctors in Red Bank named the Parkers. And um, they are quintessential in this in this community because we have a street named after them. We have a, a Parker Family Health Center where people can go who don't have insurance to be taken care of because this is what the Parker physicians, dentists, did when they were here, they you know, all of them are deceased now, but they took care of people, even if they couldn't pay uh, for a doctor's visit. Dr. Parker Jr. would open his office at 5 a.m. in the morning, so people wouldn't have to lose a, a day from work to go, to go to the doctor. His father, Dr. Parker Sr., and Dr. Parker Sr. is one year removed from, uh, uh, one one uh, generation removed from slavery, and he becomes this um, physician. But before that, to pay his way through college, he's a Pullman car porter. Uh, he's friends with A. Philip Randolph. This is a lot of important history that is right there now in the cultural center because for our third anniversary, all this year, more than a year, it's been like a year and a half, I've been working um, on curating an exhibit called Ancestral Ascension. And it's the story of the um, doctors, doctors Parker family, those uh, members of the family who were the elders who started this whole um, upward mobility in regard to higher education, the benefits of that, You know, lifting as they climb, as Mary Church Terrell told us, you know, you have to reach back and pull others forward, which Dr. Penn is, you know, aware of because Dr. Parker Sr. actually wrote a letter of recommendation for Dr. Penn's mother to attend Howard University. So it gave me great pleasure and honor to be able to you know, bring this history of this family to the cultural center in a way that's very educational on so many levels, national to local, all right? And personal as well, because Margaret Tid Parker, who I never met, is the reason, in a, in a really profound way, of me doing what I do bringing history to life because she was the architect of the African-American Studies Program at Brookdale Community College that I attended and I went through that program and my life was changed after I went through that program which eventually led me to graduate school to study uh, to get uh, my degree in history and it all is a result of this woman who created the African American Studies program, who I never met. She's deceased, but this is her family. She married the dentist, Dr. Parker, Dr. James Alvin Parker. She married him, but she was a doctor in her own right in education. So she was Dr. Margaret Parker. So it's all of these, you know, just phenomenal um, stories about who they are, that I think uh, should inspire anyone. Uh, It certainly inspired me to know that this family was one generation removed from slavery and they rose to become these social progenitors, community-minded civic leaders, um, striving for Black excellence, um, and just, you know, being there for young people to show them the way. And that's what we are, you know, tasked to do. You know, I would like to think that I'm doing for young people in some way what the Parkers did for those growing up doing. And we have testimonial letters that people have written that we'll have there on display. So, yes, this is going to be a big weekend. So, Thursday, the... Exhibit opens ancestral ascension and it will be the dedication to the Parker family legacy room.
0: Wonderful, wonderful well Gilda and Reverend Zamoria, we do have to wrap right at the um on the hour. So obviously, more to come, more to continue. We've been dropping the information on the chat about both organizations. I hope our guests will hang out and meet me back in the green room as the show wraps up today. But I want to thank you for bringing forward the positive aspects of the community and what we could do when we come together. And I wanna thank this community. If we didn't have an audience, we wouldn't have a show. Thank you to the production team. We're going to play out our beautiful theme music as we say goodbye and thank you. And hopefully, we'll see you right back here next Sunday morning at 8 a.m., right? And we're going to play ourselves out. See you in the green room. Thank you both.
1: Weightless,
0: weightless, no
1: matter what people say, you're full of greatness. Time you opened up your eyes, you were courageous. courageous. If only they could see you going through your paces.